Yeah, well, good afternoon. Thanks once for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips that uh, will help uh, build our business a little bit more. We're also talking with Christina Sikiotis with her Minute on Innovation. Right now, we're going to have a chat with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre about family businesses. Good afternoon, Brett. Yeah, hi, Julian. Thanks for joining us again. So, um, well, what what is a family business? I suppose it's fairly obvious, really. It is in some ways, but, uh, and it's probably actually a lot more prevalent than what people realise. There's about 70% of, of businesses uh, in the country are actually uh, actually family-based, so it's, it's very high, but not necessarily obvious. So, there, yeah, there's, there's a, a tie together by uh, a connection of family members, and, and that's a fairly loose definition mm. of family, uh, but uh, often people who are connected either by marriage or by being a direct uh, relation, so uh, and it can be intergenerational too. It's it's uh, can be grandparents, you know, parents and children, or it could be a combination of that. It could also be uh, in-laws or de facto's as well. So there's a, a broad definition of, of family these days, uh, and that um, I guess that's reflected in the business community uh, as well. So when we look at running a business, are there main differences between a family business and, a, and any other type of business? In essence, there there aren't. Uh, but I guess with a family business, there's a couple of things that are peculiar to that, and and I guess it's that relationship between the individuals uh, in the business, if they are family members, because at the end of the day, they have to you know, either go home together or meet up at the next family barbecue or interact outside the business, which is not necessarily the case in terms of a, a standard business. It's not a family-based business, so. That's, I guess, the, the defining difference. And when it comes to issues that need to be resolved, what comes first? You know, um, you know they're saying is you know blood thicker than water. So um, uh, is blood uh, thicker than money? Um, so how do those results get, uh, or how do those issues get to resolved without breaking the family connection and end up with some family feuds? And so, but good family businesses operate knowing that's the case, mm. but they operate on pure business lines anyway. Mm. Uh, but a few extra things you can do is things like have a have a, a governing body or a board um, that has people outside the business, or sorry, outside the family in there as independent directors or independent um, uh, people who can provide that, that uh, balance from the family objectives and the family desires as opposed to the, the business direction and the business desires as well. So mm. uh, treat, it, treat it a little bit different to how, in order to maintain that, those good, um, good family relationships, which, which are, are fundamental uh, first. And, and my personal view is that they have to come before the business. You don't want to lose families because of the business, but it happens quite, uh, quite regularly. And, and you and I both work with people who start, start businesses. Often people will say, I'm just starting this business to employ my son or my daughter. There's a danger in that, isn't there? There sure is, sure is. And often it's done uh, on goodwill and trust, and that's admirable, but sometimes, as you and I both know, short-sighted. Uh, and when things are good, things are good, and when things go bad, they're damn horrible. Uh, and so I strongly advocate, as I'm sure you do, that we get a, an agreement in place about how it will operate, who gets to make the decisions, how much uh, authority individuals have, what delegations do they get to do, and also around the behaviour, because someone goes says, oh, you know, Dad owns a business, it doesn't really matter if I mm. you know, turn up in shorts and T-shirt and thongs, or doesn't matter if I you know, duck off to the beach this afternoon at, uh, and not come back. So 
those expectations need to be clearly defined and agreed to uh, very early on because uh, what happens is that if they're not, then people just do what they think is okay and they may not be okay by by the other family members. So it's... Um, well, in this situation, you don't want people being treated differently either. You, if you've got an employee who's non-family member and an employee who is a family member, you don't want them to be treated differently. They seem to be different because that will, can also lead to resentment uh, as well. Yeah, I've, I have seen that danger. Um, the the boss's son or daughter is treated differently, and uh, the uh, often often a, uh, an intermediary manager can't do anything about it. That's right. They feel a bit powerless uh, yeah. and and uh, to intervene. And uh, uh, I had a circumstance where uh, I worked with uh, one of my daughters uh, a little while ago, a few years ago, and, uh, and she wanted to report directly to me. And I said, no, uh, it would be better if you report to uh, uh, my deputy oh, manager uh, because um, she actually won't be as tough on you as what I am going to be. So, Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought, well, she's my daughter. I need to make sure that yeah. she's not, you know, not given any special privileges. And uh, so I said it would be better if, if you uh, re- report to the deputy manager rather than me because um, it will be easier for you to uh, – and it won't, won't be seen as favouritism either. So it's all those perceptions as well. But it is okay to employ family members under circum- certain circumstances, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, and I, and I think the best thing to do is treat them like another employee. You know, mm. go through the same process. Uh, okay, yes, sometimes they're given a job because of you know who they are, but you still want to make sure that if you're running a business, um, you want to make sure you've got the best person in the job, and mm. and if they are the best person for the job, then well and good. But I think it's about having those clear understanding and the expectations around what you're trying to achieve, and that they're not here for a, you know, for a free run. Uh, they're here to actually do a job and you know, the business comes and goes. The business might be here you know, in uh, in two or three years' time. It may not be. And if they really want a job outside that, they've got to perform well in this job as a foundation for the future. And uh, that's often a, a weakness in family businesses. They don't think about that exit strategy and they don't think about what happens if you know, whoever owns the business uh, decides that they want to retire or they want to go and do something else um, or uh, you know, they, they pass away. And... Um, all of a sudden there's this great void uh, and there's no succession planning in place and there's no estate planning in place to say, well, what happens in the event that the business doesn't exist in the future? Um, what happens to those family members who are employed by the business? If the business is sold off, do they still mm-hmm. have a job? Or what? So thinking about that uh, is uh, is important part of the process as well. Now, now we've talked in the past about uh, the importance of having an online presence and uh, yep. you've got a digital enterprise program, which is a government-funded sp- uh, program, starting next Thursday morning. A yes, little bit about the first, in a, first in a series, yep. uh, and uh, you're going to be training that one. Wow. Uh, and so um, you're, you're probably better to give us a bit more detail <laughs> that. But, but it's something, certainly something that, be, that the businesses certainly want, should be thinking about is their, their online presence. And uh, so much of business opportunities these days come from the online presence. Uh, as well as a physical presence, and uh, businesses should be thinking about um, you know, both both as opportunities. Uh, and if they're not on in the online uh, uh, space at this stage, here's a great opportunity for them to come and learn about it. Yeah, and it's a very basic course. It's in at a basic level. Um, you know, only something like fifty percent of small businesses have a website presence, uh, so yeah. it's designed to help those who are a little bit frightened with the internet, not sure how to go about it, and does include mentoring program. Yep, great.
great. And, and, and for those who have an online presence, they already have it. I think it's also a good opportunity for them to actually come and do a bit of an asset test on how mm. good it is because mm. just having a website uh, and a lot of small businesses, you know, grab a website and, and put it up there and then do nothing with it. And uh, it's about as effective as not having one at all. Uh, and sometimes it can actually be a negative effect because if you're getting inquiries uh, through your website and you're not actually addressing them, it sends a very negative message to, off to your, uh, to your clients or your potential clients. So um, uh, a website is not just a, a case of doing it once and forgetting about it. It's, it's one of those uh, things like anything in the marketing space, you've got to keep doing at it. So here's an opportunity for the, to people to actually uh, say, well, I've got it. Let me come and do some, you know, some refresher on, on how I can make it better And uh, because they are very powerful and... Uh, the amount of generation of income that's generated now from online presence is in the billions of dollars uh, and increasing daily. Uh, so um, it's a case of uh, get on board and do it well. Um, you can be uh, short of a fairly uh, fairly good chance of survival uh, in the future. And if you're not on board, then um, your chance of survival may be uh, diminished somewhat. Great. Well, thanks for your time again, Brett. And uh, we'll have a chat with you again next month. And I'll see you next Thursday morning for well, the workshop. We should just mention that those website details are on our uh, sorry, those uh, um, seminar workshops are on our oh, um, website at um, businessgrowthcenter.org.au, just in case people are looking yep. for um, where to find them. Right. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next thanks, month. Bye bye. Thanks, Julian. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Brett Gleeson there from the Business Growth Centre. And yes, uh, the workshop's 9.30 next Thursday morning. You do need to register. You can do it through either the uh, the Business Growth Centre's website or switched on hunter.com.au. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. 25 minutes past one, time to for our minute on innovation with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Oh, hi, Julian. How are you today? I am very well, and I believe we're going to be talking about some principles of design thinking. Yes. Well, we've been talking about um, IDEO and their Klutz Book of Innovations the last couple of weeks. IDEO are also very much into the design thinking space, and their founder, David Kelly, um, who is the founder of IDEO, came up really with the concept of design thinking. Um, and one of the most impressive things, I think, for me is that he actually designed the mouse the Apple computer uses. Um, mm. So... Just around the concepts of design thinking as well, which are, which are very um, normal things for a lot of people to be considering. And, it, and it's all based around human thinking and the human concept of design. So using that problem-solving aspect um, to, to throw people together from different backgrounds to... Um, so you might have an engineer and a, and a, uh, a journalist and a, and a um, scientist and a singer, and they all collaborate together to come up, and, come up with solutions to problems. So... Cooperation and collaboration, as we, as we know, is integral to business success and everything these days. Um, but the whole idea is that you build a diverse group of people and those people can then build on each other's ideas. The end game, of course, is empathy for the consumer. So what the, what the consumer um, needs, requires, and sometimes the consumer isn't even aware that there's a better way of doing things. Mm. The designers all come at it from a, from a point of empathy and problem-solving for the consumer, which I, I mean, it's, it's basically intuitive. So it's very intuitive within human behaviour, um, and it's understanding people through communication. Right. Um, is it a formal process, or is it uh, sort of a bit of an ad hoc thing, or a bit of each? Well, we can, it can be a formal process, and we actually um, can work around it in, in four stages um, that, that are, again, it's, it's a common sense, and it's very intuitive. So it's hmm. finding out what the problem is, and then looking at it, looking at that as a as an opportunity. So, 
if you've got something that's not quite working, instead of looking at it as a problem, you look at it as an opportunity. And then you go through the thinking process. You bring together the different ideas, the different ideas people. So again, you know, your engineers, your scientists, etc. Your, your creatives, your singers, whatever that you've got in the room or that you can have access to, to build on each other's ideas, come at ideas with different perspectives um, and potentially come up with new products, new prototypes. And then you go ahead and make them. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. That's some great little principles there. Next week, we'll have another chat. We're at a festival, dig festival at the moment, so we might have a chat about that next week. We will. Thanks a lot, Julian. Have Thank a great you. week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiates is there with our Minute on Innovation. And, yes, some of those design thinking principles is common sense, though, isn't it? Although, unfortunately, what do they say? Common sense isn't that common sometimes. Well, now it's time to have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one is three ways to keep your next negotiation on track. We waste too much time and emotion during negotiations. We argue about items that don't really matter and let our feelings override our logic. If you want to move a negotiation forward and advance to where you want to be, three points need to be considered. First of all, understand the common goal. You both should articulate your goals and interests in writing and share them to ensure clarity and alignment. Secondly, be transparent and explain why, uh, the why of your points. It's surprising how seldom people explain why they're fighting for something. The other side likely doesn't know why you're asking for a term or condition. If something is going to impact you personally, think about disclosing it and the other party may understand. And thirdly, calculate what actually is important. Figure out how material each point is. Then determine what's really worth fighting for in the bigger picture and what you might be able to use as leverage. And then one other little thing here. If you're on a roll, take a break. When you're on a roll at work, completely focused, tearing through your to-do list, the last thing you want to do is take a break and lose momentum. But research shows that no matter how engaged we are in activity, our brains inevitably tire and we become so vulnerable to distractions. Sporadic breaks replenish our energy, improve self-control and decision-making and fuel productivity. We just have to get better about stepping away before we burn out. So try blocking out a couple of planned 15-minute intermissions on your calendar, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and find something active to do with this time. Take a walk, stretch, run an errand, go with a co-worker for a snack, etc. The important thing is to step away from your computer so your focus is relaxed and your mind drifts. Checking Facebook doesn't count. Well, I thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Just a reminder that if uh, you're running a business out there and you need an internet presence, fantastic series of workshops and mentoring sessions coming up through the um, Business Growth Centre called the Digital Enterprise Program. The uh, program is free. It's uh, government funded. Um, it starts next Thursday at 9.30. If you want more information, go to Switched on Hunter. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina again and we'll have a look at some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Winston Churchill once said, the empires of the future are the empires of the mind.